Welcome one and all to Last Stop Penn Station podcast featuring Carrie Silken and Ian Riccoboni. They dive deep into Carrie's wealth of stories and no subject is off limits. From the world of wrestling to his ticket agency, growing up in New Jersey, drug-fueled underground days, hustling in the French Quarter of New Orleans, and endless days and nights in New York City, every story is worth telling. Happy Friday. Welcome to Last Stop Penn Station. It's Ian Riccoboni and Carrie Silken. Carrie, you advised folks about the Super Bowl. I was Bowl. giving away money. <laughs> you said no one believes me. Whoever you bet, bet against. And uh, sure enough, it was uh, it was Tampa and the under. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't been on a good run, but uh, Tara, I guess if you were a Tampa Tom Brady lover, it was a great game. Yeah, it just, it felt like the Chiefs were lifeless. It just felt like they the receivers were dropping ball after ball. Mahomes, did you see the one? He was parallel to the ground. He threw it and it hit the guy in the face mask. Yep, and he couldn't come up with it. Someone told me, or one of these Sports Center shows told me that if you added up the yardage, not the sacked yardage, but the amount of yards that uh, Mahomes went going backwards. It was close to 500 yards. Oh my god! When he was scrambling all those times, uh, and our, he was, he our was, producer AJ was nice enough to suffer through that game with me. <laughs> and, the, and it wouldn't have mattered in the end. But come on, those calls in the first half. Yeah. Those pass interference. Yeah, I, I mean, it was funny. There was a, a string of NFL players, including a couple of players from the Raiders that I'm, I'm blanking on the names, but a couple of the Raiders were tweeting back and forth about, hey, this is pass interference. I just wish the refs would have called it when we played them. This is how the Chiefs play. <laughs> so apparently the Chiefs are very aggressive. They're very handsy. Um, you know, there's a couple that I thought weren't catchable, but at the same time, you can't put your hands on someone's throat no matter when. No well, matter there was also a couple that were very uh, ticky tacky. They didn't need to call it. I mean, yeah. it, when when the uh, the panel during the halftime show of Boomer Esiason mm-hmm. and Phil Sims, yeah. and I'm blanking out on the other names of these great legends. If they're saying which they did, there's yeah. questionable calls, <laughs> then but it wouldn't have mattered. Right. Right. I mean, everything the Buccaneers made almost no mistakes. That offensive lineman that could have had a, you know, a career highlight. He dropped the a touchdown, but they ran it in a couple plays later with Fournette. So even when they did make mistakes, they just kicked the door down. And I know he hasn't had a very long career, but that was Patrick Mahone's statistically Worst game of his pro career by far. Right. And I I read a stat that said that was the only time he's ever lost by 10 or more points in high school or college. And that it was yep. the only time that he didn't score a touchdown. In, Which is crazy. Yeah. You think about it. Yeah. So those might be wrong or there might be some deviation of that that's close. But even if that's 90% accurate, that's amazing. Well... Congratulations, Tom Brady. Yeah. <laughs> give, give credit where it's due. Yeah. And um, that defense, too. Jason Pierre-Paul, who only has seven fingers or just eight fingers, just looked like a machine. And they wrote him off long ago, but he was in there getting to Mahomes, breaking through that line. It's crazy. And in retrospect, why? Oh, <laughs> why did I get involved? Like like Silent Sydney would say, you yeah. know. The home, you know, the, the home dog. Right. Right. It was the home. The Tampa, at, they were at home. Mm-hmm. And you could tell from the crowd reaction. Right. Uh, it was like a home game. I mentioned uh, to AJ that this was the first Super Bowl ever where the, since the like, in other words, next year, it's going to be in L.A. Mm-hmm. So I believe it's where the Rams. The Rams and Chargers now. Yeah. Right. So one of the. Anyway, it was the first time the the team wound up being in their home stadium, mm-hmm. which is uh, so they had that advantage going for them. 
I was just thinking, you know, Mahomes is going to overcome Brady. The torch is going to be passed. But uh, yeah, maybe if you got a little help from his line and his receivers, <laughs> maybe that would happen. Yeah, just about everything that could have gone wrong. I won wrong. one bet. Oh, I don't, I don't make these prop bets. The anthem? I, <laughs> I bet $100 on Brady throwing less than 280 yards. He only had only he only had 204 yards passing. Wow. Right? Yeah. So it wasn't that he was that great, mm-hmm. but Tampa's defense was. Yeah. Tampa kept them off the board. And I think, like you said, I don't know that it mattered that there was the pass interference calls because the Chiefs just weren't scoring. I mean, they the uh Tampa defense held them pretty, pretty solid. So Hey, what do you think about the halftime show? I liked all the songs. It felt like it didn't have energy, though. It was weird. It I like his. I like the weekend songs. It just felt kind of hollow. It felt. I don't. I don't think he's a great entertainer. Um, Michael Jackson, Prince, Prince, The Weekend, uh, Bruno he, Mars. Bruno Mars right. killed it. Hey, let, let's not forget. Uh, Shakira and J Lo. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they know how to move, right? But they look—they looked like they were into it. They looked like, and it, it, this just looked like it was kind of pre-recorded. It, I'd it was, said it was pre-recorded. I think it was too. Uh, yeah. Our producer disagrees, but uh, we're not yeah. sure. Fantastic production, of course. Sure, but um, he just—it didn't. I guess I'm too old. No, because I my brother said that, my wife said that. Uh, I love the and that's the thing. I'm a fan. I like his, I like the music, but the performance didn't connect with me. Look, there was too many bells and whistles. It, it was like putting too many condiments on a sandwich that didn't have enough meat. I don't. I like guess. I thought somehow you were going to say too many condoms. <laughs> <laughs> Only wear one. That's what I learned as a sex educator. <laughs> Wearing two, the rubber wears down. Anyway, uh, we'll get to that's a real thing, by the way. You can look that up. Um, so the, the game. Yeah. The next night was the watch party. ROH watch party. That was way better. That was way better. <laughs> it's an hour. It's great. Get to see the best wrestlers in the world. We saw CB Tracy Williams. Yeah. Cheeseburger, who I've known from day one. Uh, really good to see him out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, great, great promo that he did. Yeah, Tracy Williams, even though his stock is going up, he's, he's criminally underrated. Yeah, in the in the world of pro wrestling. But I, as I think as this year rolls out, uh, do you know what I mean by that? I think so. I think Tracy Williams. I think is going to break out this year. I think he, out of anybody in the Ring of Honor roster, would be somebody that I. I'd look forward to seeing for some competing for the championships. But uh, the coming up next, though, we had that eight-man tag. What about Bestia and, and PCO? Bestia's Ring of Honor debut, nearing 50 years old. PCO, over 50. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about, like, two grizzly bears. And they were hitting the hell out of each other. <laughs> they were holding back nothing. What was that like live? Oh, God. it So... Calling that an empty arena, you hear everything echo and reverberate. And I swear there were two moments in that match that were the loudest things I've ever heard in an arena. One was Brody King chopping Flip Gordon early on in the match. And that one translated. If you go back and you watch it, that sounds like a, a shotgun was was sent off. The other was the overhand from Bestia across the chest of PCO. And that sounded like somebody took... Two slabs of meat and just like, slammed them together on a hydraulic pulley system, and it was, it was nuts. What the official ending was? What a, no, no contest. contest, no contest. Yeah. So we'll look forward to uh, some. Uh, there's a lot more action uh, there within those eight guys. Jeez. Yeah, and then then the foundation petitioned for next week. To have six guys and a six man to show everybody what real wrestling looks like. So right. we'll see what, what that looks like, how that turns out. We had week by week this week for Ring of Honor, which featured Sledge and O'Shea Edwards, O'Shea's debut in Ring of Honor. That was pretty cool. A lot of people waiting to see him. And talk about big men. Those two just locking horns. It was a time limit draw. But I understand that there may be a rematch in the works. Okay. So we may see a rematch there. Coming up this week, the uh, the thing I know for sure is that we're going to be seeing the six-man tag, and uh, it's going to be featuring members of the Foundation, also Fred Yehai and Wheeler Yuta. 
Excellent. Well, this this once again, it's Monday nights, seven o'clock. If you don't get to see uh, Ring of Honor's weekly show on a Sinclair affiliate, you can watch it uh, Monday. It stays on past it seven does. o'clock. You can watch it. No charge. Mm-hmm. You should join Honor Club anyway. You should. <laughs> but uh, no charge. And you could interact with us on Twitter. It's a lot of fun. Big turnout this week. Maria is starting to hop in on the fun. Maria Canales, our friend. Uh, Mike Bennett, obviously, he's jumping in on the fun, too. And, uh, you know, Matt Taven, Beer City Bruiser, Brawler Malonis, Quinn McKay, Dak Draper, Dan Housen. There are, you know, you can talk with everybody and everybody's replying and responding to each other. It's a really great time. We trended again this week for the first time nice. in a bit. So, you know, people are talking about Ring of Honor. They're getting excited about it. Dragon Lee, Roosh, and Bestia just re-upped and re-signed with Ring of Honor. So we won't have a... There was another re-signing or two. Uh, oh, you, Jonathan Gresham, Jay Lethal. Yeah. Um, I quietly did a few months ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> no fanfare for that one because we were in the pandemic, but I understand and that's okay. Well, I had the pleasure today to talk with Dave LaGreca. Mm-hmm. He had me on his show, I believe... By the time this is out, uh, it's on the podcast version of uh, Busted Open. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were talking about Ring of Honor and uh, how, you know, the action is just so good. And uh, people need to uh, we we don't want to look, uh, we don't want to be like the redheaded stepchild. Right. You know, and I talked about, you know, uh, the intention was for us if everything wouldn't have went down like it did, the intention was for us to be on live. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we, that's still the plan. Yeah. And, as far uh, as I know, that is the case. Although we, we are going to be certain to take the safety precautions and whatnot. Absolutely. Limit travel. But as soon as the vaccines, as soon as we reach that certain point where things start to open up officially, I, I think that is the plan. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's a great roster. Yeah. Um, I was just going over the names with him mm-hmm. and, uh, it lines up with anybody. So uh, check out the Ring of Honor show. Join Honor Club. There's a wealth of great wrestling going back almost 20 years. Amazing. And there's going to be more. The 19th anniversary just officially announced that's going to be available for Honor Club. If you join Honor Club, you get that. You get to watch that. Uh, complimentary. So that's a great thing as well. Carrie, last week we talked about Tampa. You mentioned Tampa. We talked about your foray. The wake up call Ugh. in 1991. We are here about 30 years later. 30 years later. And uh, we're going to sort of backtrack a little. I just want, you know, I, real quick in our uh, pop culture segment of the show, I've been probably for the last four episodes, I've been mentioning this When Giants Walked the Earth book, this Led Zeppelin book. And mm-hmm. I finally got through it. Uh, the people can't see it, but. Look at, this, look at this poster back here with Taj Mahal opening <laughs> for Led Zeppelin. And the feature act is Country Joe. You know their famous song. Country Joe. From Woodstock. Yeah, I knew they played Give at Woodstock. Give me an F. Oh, I don't know. I know they played at Woodstock. You got me stumped here. It's one, two, three. What are we fighting for? Don't ask me. I don't give a damn. Next stop is Vietnam. And it's five, six, seven. Open up the pearly gates. There ain't no time to wonder why. Whoopee, we're all going to die. But uh, yeah, Country Joe and the Fish. But the Zeppelin book is fascinating. Um, These guys, uh, how they they played it all... uh, the drug use and the debauchery and the women were just on a level rivaling or surpassing the Rolling Stones or wow. any of these other uh, wild bands of the day. And uh, But what was even as fascinating, and it's led me to a new book, their manager, Peter Grant. Okay. Uh there's so many stories of bands getting fleeced, mm-hmm. bands getting the short end of the stick. Creed's Clear Order Revival right. is one. The Beatles. Uh, ben Morrison doesn't own Brown Eyed Girl, never has. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, Peter Grant uh, was about 10 or 12 years older than these guys. And there's a, a book that I'm reading now. Uh, it's a Peter Grant biography. And... Real quick, the early 
you know, he, he started managing Zeppelin in 68. Um, I got to read this directly, but it said Grant was soon attracted to the entertainment industry and worked as a stagehand at the Croydon Empire Theater until 1953. Oh. Maybe he was 15 years old when he was called up for he was he went into the military. He worked briefly as entertainment manager at a hotel in Jersey, which is UK. In UK, yeah. And before being employed as a bouncer and a doorman in London's famous 21 Coffee Bar, where Cliff Richards, Adam Faith, Tommy Steele, and others got their start, the co-owner of the 21 Bar was professional wrestler Paul Lincoln, oh. who suggested and assisted Grant appear on television as a wrestler under the title of Count Massimo <laughs> and Count Bruno Asalio of Milan using his six foot three inch frame for good effect. And he then went on, so they were talking 59-60. Yeah. And he was involved in the British pro wrestling scene. Wow. I looked up, um, I looked up Paul Lincoln. Mm -hmm. There's, if we had an English historian here, they would know, you know, he, he promoted, he wrestled and, uh, Peter Grant went on to, he was, you know, hanging around these music people. We're talking 61, 62, 63. So when bands like the Animals came out, they, through his connections and through his size and his, uh, his, his, uh, intimate, his, his physically was an intimidating guy. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't like the, uh, nicest guy on the block. Like he stood <laughs> up for himself. They would send him out like Chuck Berry. Uh, or Little Richard would come over to the, to the UK and they brought him over at the wrong time because mm -hmm. the Beatles and the Stones were breaking out. Yeah. And so Peter Grant was in charge of monitoring these guys, monitoring them, monitoring the promoters. And he's really, really, really interesting. And uh, I highly suggest it. Uh the uh, it's called Bring It On Home is okay. the name of the book. And obviously it leads to the Led Zeppelin stuff. And he got them a good deal. Uh, last thing about him, when he signed with Ahmet Erdogan mm. of Atlantic, okay. uh, he signed the deal and he had the foresight in 68-ish to, they had the record deal, but any film or video they had rights to, Oh, and thus there's I don't even know if you know about this. There's the song remains the same mm -hmm. was released as a movie. It wasn't very, very successful. But Peter Grant was uh, a very interesting cat. Wasn't the nicest guy in the world, but he got business done. Wow. So uh, <laughs> if, if you like rock and roll, if you like characters. Yeah. Which we like to talk about on Last Stop Penn Station. Man, this guy was a character. Sounds a lot like John Fetterman. That's who I'm, the lieutenant governor here in Pennsylvania. Okay. Was, are, you, are you familiar with him? Tell us a little about John. He's six foot eight. And from the uh, lieutenant governor's mansion, he hangs a pride flag and a weed flag. <laughs> and he invites people. They they have had, uh, they've ruled against him in the Pennsylvania legislature so that he cannot hang these flags. And every time they come up to take him down, he puts them right back up. Yeah, good for him. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he's kind of an intimidating guy. Just announced he's running for Senate. So, uh, well, he's got my vote. There you go. Yeah, he's a big, big John Fetterman guy. And uh, yeah, he's got the big, gruff voice, too. Reminds me of, uh, he kind of looks like the big show, honestly. <laughs> so, there you go. He gets business done, though, too. So it's a uh, good guy to have on your side. I don't know that he's ever been to Hoboken, though, because he's from uh, he's from a steel town. He's from uh, he went on to go to Harvard, but he's back in Braddock, Pennsylvania, okay. which is in Western PA. You were, were in Hoboken in northern Jersey, which for those that don't know, is right across the river. Right from, across the river. From you know, uh, Manhattan. Uh, they... The Miracle Mile is one of its nicknames. So okay. if you want to think um, of Hoboken, it's like from Canal Street, sort of, mm -hmm. to 33rd Street, okay. sort of. Yeah. Uh, you could take the path train. And it was great. From Hoboken path train, seven minutes. The first stop was Christopher Street. Wow. Okay. And then 
14th Street. Yeah. And then uh, 23rd mm-hmm. and then 33rd Street. I might be leaving one out, but 14 minutes, you could be right at 6th Avenue and 33rd Street. Wow. Herald Square. Yeah. But um, I was introduced to Hoboken from Empire Industries. Okay. <laughs> Which is where you, you sold the... Uh, the the uh, all-purpose cleaner degreaser, the 40-to-1 water-soluble. <laughs> <laughs> so we, once again, go back and, and listen to that. One of our greatest, one of our most popular episodes. Yeah, the bonus episode. Uh, <laughs> with, with characters like Belly Mel <laughs> and Jiggles Riley. Right. Um, but yeah, that was my introduction to Hoboken. And I don't I didn't mention this when we were talking about that. Um, prior to me leaving, getting out of town to go to New Orleans, I had been working with Bo at Yankee Stadium and Shea Stadium doing the T-shirt Hustle and you know, Bo was a silk screener, mm-hmm. and uh, I was going to this bar, Redheads, that was near the path station. And I wound up, you know, I was like, Hey, Bo, you think you can, would you be able to make up t shirt? He goes, What do you mean? I can silk screen anything. <laughs> so we got Redheads to make up shirts, mm-hmm. and if I would have had my shit together at the time. We we accrued thirty different accounts in Hoboken. Oh wow! Redheads led us to the bar down the. You know there was like a hundred bars within a square mile. Redhead and they, we didn't have all bars. Redheads mm-hmm. led us to uh, McGordy's, and then we got. Uh, we, I remember we had a loss leader. There was the Hoboken Hardware, okay. which was the guy had always made shirts. He had them done really cheap. Mm-hmm. He didn't care about the quality. He just cared about the price. Mm-hmm. So Bo had the foresight to let's just give him the deal. This way we could say we have Hoboken hardware, yeah. which led us to this guy, led us to that guy. Uh, unfortunately uh, for Bo and, you know, I, I literally had a bailout, but it introduced me to Hoboken um, so when I came back from New Orleans mm-hmm. and I was sort of, as you like to say, couch surfing and bouncing around, I would still go to Hoboken. Okay. And I, you know, I, I think the, actually the, you know, I re, I re-upped the t-shirt deal at Redheads mm. and there was another bar at the end of town called Kelly's, which was on the 40, you ever been to Hoboken? Yes, actually, yeah. Kelly's was on, Redheads was by the Path Station. Okay. Kelly's was by 14th Street, which was basically as far as you, just about as far, I'm good with directions. I'm screwed. Far east. Far to north. northeast. Okay. North. But um, Redheads was really an interesting place. Um, how did it get the Redheads name, you're wondering? <laughs> yes. Well, the owner was a former striptease oh. from the real from we're talking about the glory era of striptease oh wow with these names like uh hope diamond okay. who my father also knew so one, of these, <laughs> one of these musicians that played at the cove where my father worked the last many years uh new hope diamond and the owner was joan torino hmm. and she was, ah, I don't want to, she was sort of a second rate. She wasn't <laughs> a top, she wasn't a top name uh, stripper. But when you went into the bar, the well, place was adorned with posters of the great strippers. Okay. Gyp- Gypsy Rose Lee. Okay. Athena. The Grecian Siren of Sex. <laughs> and my favorite, just for names, the beautiful and buxom Beverly Hills. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, have a, I have a lot of questions. <laughs> Go ahead. Where do I mean? So if you drive up I-95, if you're driving past the, you know, the, the link where the Eagles play, or you know, mm-hmm. They have, you know, cheerleaders advertises, you know, right. hey, we have XXX adult star so-and-so coming to dance. Then you have, uh, you know, another club advertising somebody else. 
did they tour like that or were they in movies or how did you how did you know about these the the cream of the crop strippers well like, <laughs> we're, Joan Torino at the time was probably in her early 60s okay so her career was 30 years back gotcha. when they had legitimate burlesque you know this was like burlesque you know gotcha. with with comedians okay and singers mm-hmm. and then you know the burlesque artists they weren't you know, they were not talking about show world, live <laughs> sex. These were, you know, uh, true burlesque artists. Gotcha. And she, it's funny. She held, she, she she was still attractive and she was trying to hold on to that former glory. And um, the clientele at Redheads ranged. Now, you're, this is the south side of Hoboken. You know where all those train tracks are and you have the path station Mm -hmm. and you had all those um, New Jersey transit came into there also, as Mm -hmm. well as a lot of freight trains. So you had the the uh, the workers that worked on the trains, but you had these men and you had locals, but you had these men that. So if I was 30 ish, then guys that were business type guys that were in their 50s and 60s that, you know, knew this era and knew Joan Torino. It would be like you or I hearing that. um, The magnificent Morocco. Right. Right. And we just want to go there and rub shoulders. Right. So Joan Torino kept this uh, mystique about her. And she she was cool. The problem with the bar was... And I know we've touched on some of this. There were four steps leading down to get into the bar. Now, why should that be a problem? Four steps leading down. Well, now it's an OSHA thing. You got to have a wheelchair ramp. But true. <laughs> that wasn't an issue. That was not a concern probably in 1988. Or, uh, uh, if it's leading down. People had to make a commitment. Oh, just to go in and the name Redheads and she had a nice little logo. Yeah. I, oh, I wish I had the damn thing. Um, and I wish I had a Redheads T-shirt. There might be one buried away somewhere. Yeah. Um, but it could have maybe been a gay bar. Uh, you know, it, it, like you didn't just, know. Just, you didn't know. Yeah. And so that. if you were coming off the train. There, there was the famous Clamberoth House. You ever hear of Not that? Not familiar, no. Very famous in Hoboken. There was the uh, five or six bars within a hundred yards of where Redheads was. So yeah. you had to make the commitment. And mm-hmm. that was one of the problems with business. Um, it, it, the other problem she had was Joan's son, who was a good friend of mine, Sal, who actually... He trained to wrestle. Really? I don't know where. It might have been at a second-rate Johnny Roz thing. This was later on, uh, and he was a fan. Mm-hmm. So I was. A tr- so that was, and and he was a, he was a friend, but like I did, he had a, a terrible hankering for the coke. Ah. And every time he was working which Joan tried to not have him work as much as possible because inevitably what would happen would be there were IOUs in the cash <laughs> register. And yeah. Sal would say to me, uh, Carrie, he go, you know, he would just shove, he would shove like, you know, $50. And then he would say, and then another 25, he go, could you go to 50th street? Oh was, yeah. Right. Cause that That's was the easy spot. Yeah. Just, Get on the path train, zoop, boop. So, yeah, yeah, I go to 50th Street. The other thing was the men's bathroom was a flight of stairs up. So it it, it, now a nice, clean man like you who's (laughs) not been involved in the drug world. uh, This was a perfect thing because if you were doing a couple of hits of coke, you could see who's coming up. Oh, yeah. Right. You're not like worried that the door is going to open. Right. Mm-hmm. So the it, it was a perfect setup for that. Um, there were nice people. But the other thing with Joan was 
she owned an apartment building mm. and that was 118 Jefferson Street in Hoboken. Huh. And um, when I first met her, I couldn't afford an apartment, right? I, uh, I bailed out to New Orleans. When I came back, I reunited with them. Um, I met my friend Harry, who is the hard-boiled Harry, alias Cosmo, who's been in a few episodes. He's who accompanied me to the WrestleMania one. Mm -hmm. And uh, he lived at 118 Jefferson Street. This was a building built in like 1898. <laughs> uh, you know what a railroad style apartment is? Uh, yeah, it would be long and rectangular. The, yeah. Right. The rooms just run together. Mm -hmm. So you would open the door and you were in the kitchen. And bathroom was straight ahead. And then if you went the other direction, there was like a living room. There was three rooms. Mm -hmm. One, two, three. But there were the only privacy would be that last room. Ah. So, but that's that's just the way it was. Right. You know, and uh, Harry was living there and um, he had this roommate. Uh, it, it was such a, you know, Harry was a cool cookie. He was a photographer. His claim to fame was that he photographed the Campbell's for ads, mm -hmm. the famous Campbell's soup. Was it an Andy Warhol thing? Andy Warhol, yeah. Yeah, that he did the photography for uh, the ad campaign. Nice. And he worked in the city. And uh, so I was friends with Harry when I came back. And uh, I couldn't afford an apartment. Harry had this... Harry offered me to be a roommate, but I just couldn't get it together. He had this guy, and Dustin was, this is the same time I met Dustin. Oh, okay. And Harry had this roommate, triple, not triple F, <laughs> triple D. Triple D, okay. I'll have to make a glossary. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, triple D was dirty, disgusting Danny. Oh. And the guy was not really dirty, nor was he disgusting. <laughs> he was just this odd guy. It was like, the, you know, Harry was hip. And just, he knew music, he liked wrestling, he was a partier, he, he was good with women. <laughs> and this this Danny, he met him at uh, uh, Redheads and, you know, Danny had the money. Mm -hmm. And how they, what they <laughs> so what they did was, based on the uh, geography of the apartment, they used two separate doors. Oh. In other words, it was like four flights, an apartment on each flight, mm -hmm. but there were two doors. You weren't supposed to use the other door. So gotcha. where the bedroom, you get in the picture? Yep. Where the, so Harry had the bedroom side, mm -hmm. Danny had the kitchen side. Mm -hmm. So they were able to stay out of each other's, uh, each other's way. Wow. So, yeah. Um, now, at that time, were this was Hoboken cheaper than Manhattan? Manhattan was was pretty rough and tumble at that point. So yeah, but it was Hoboken. It was still Manhattan. Hoboken was a bargain. It was to total gentrification. Gotcha. Um, the people that lived in Hoboken, these old time Hoboken people, were getting pushed out. Mm. Um, and that apartment, which I eventually. Joan eventually had an opening. Mm -hmm. This is like a couple, maybe 1987, 88. She gave me a, she, she, I didn't have like a month's security. Yeah. It was 700 a month at okay. the time. Now that same building, right. <laughs> even if, I don't know how you fix it up. Right. Uh, but that same building have to be, you know, like, Twenty-five, three thousand dollars a month. Yeah, but yeah, Hoboken was was on the on the up, mm -hmm. and uh, it pushed out a lot of the locals yeah. that were soured on the. I don't even think it was the yuppies, but sort of. Mm -hmm. And uh, but Joe, you know, Joan gave me an opportunity, and eventually I moved into one eighteen Jefferson Street, which was uh, dubbed the Hoboken Hilton. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> and when I moved into when I moved into one eighteen Jefferson Street, I'll never forget the first night I had the key. I had no furniture at the time, 
But I had the key and I was so happy. Harry used to let me crash in his place sometimes on the couch and uh, or I'd be in going back to Cranford or here or there or staying at or listening to Stroking at the After Hours Club. <laughs> but uh, I remember the going in the apartment. I had the key. I don't even think I was on a binge. And I just went back there at like 11 at night. And uh, it was sort of the autumn, wasn't freezing cold. And I rolled up my coat and used that as a pillow and laid on the floor. And I was happy as a clam. Oh, this probably your, is your first place? No, I, I had the- uh, The New Orleans. Well, place. I had that. I had the other place in, in Edison. Yeah. But this was like, this was uh, uh, new ground. Mm -hmm. So the only furniture I could get, my parents, they gave me this old couch, which turned out to be Dustin's. And, and I bought, <laughs> I mean, I bought a mattress. I didn't buy a bed. <laughs> I bought a mattress. I bought a, t a, a TV, nice. right? Um, Did you get it at Sears? That's the question. No, <laughs> no, no, no. If some, I bought it off somebody or yeah. whatever. And uh, there was a light bulb hanging from my room. I mean, and, and I eventually, shortly after I moved in, I took in Dustin, who uh, had returned from the Midwest. Uh, who had, you know, when I originally met him at that after hours club, mm -hmm. eh, like a year or so, a year or two had gone by, but I was, I would see him in New York and we kept in touch. Mm -hmm. Anyway, the torture rack was, <laughs> was, 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 wow, was this took a turn. The couch. Oh, okay. My parent, this couch my parents had, had to be from the early 60s. Mm -hmm. It was thin. It was just this sofa with thin cushions and like one, two, three wooden planks oh. that made up. The, you know, if you would have had nice fat cushions, yeah. it wouldn't have been bad. But we weren't going to, Dustin wasn't going to spend any money, nor was I. <laughs> so you had to sleep on your side. Oh. And it was, it was thus dubbed the torture rack. <laughs> So, but it didn't matter. We, yeah. were, we were happy. You know, we, we had our own place. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, Cosmo, Harry was up, was in the building. No one bothered us there. It's wow. amazing. We used to, you know, cranking music. You know, we hardly had a good stereo system. Yeah. I might've had one of those nice cassette boxes, mm -hmm. but we would play music. The guy that was next to me was a single guy, Paul, never said a word. Below us was the uh, matriarch of the building. Now, don't forget, Joan Torino was the land, the, the, sure. she was the landlord. Right. But below us directly who would, or the people above us, but the people below us who would be most effective um, was this very nice woman who Mrs. Medina, mm -hmm. who we somehow dubbed Felicio Medina. How? <laughs> and she, Where did that she name was come this from? nice lady and she spoke very little English. And she would, on a spring, summer and <laughs> autumn, she'd be looking out the window and I'd be like, hi, Miss Medina. Oh, hello. Right? Never said a word. Um, but I was... Let's rewind. How did she get that nickname? <laughs> I well, don't remember. We just give nicknames. Okay. <laughs> and she had a son who was, he was probably 30. And it took me a while to realize what he was doing. I would see him running back and forth. And a number of, when I would notice, a number of times a day. And they were like these, uh, and they were, they were Puerto Rican people. And there was these Spanish American clubs or Latin bars. Sure. He was a, he was a numbers runner. Oh. We talked about uh, in the pioneer homes with yeah. the New Jersey pick three. But Hoboken, yes, they had the pick three New Jersey state lottery. Sure. But they, the numbers was strong there. Mm. And, you know, Hoboken, where Frank Sinatra came from. Yeah. 
and the uh, the old school Italian uh, organization. Businessmen. <laughs> Businessmen were yes. there. And uh, the guy was a runner. Wow. So I spent, you know, it, it, and we were always late on the rent, but mm. it was okay as long as Joan got the money. And um, this wound up being the place that, you know, where going back to last week's episode, mm -hmm. uh, where I finally put down the cocaine and the booze. And uh, when we told that horrific story last week, where, you know, I did my last uh, Coke and drink for that time, and I got clean in that same building, wow. you know, and lasted there until uh, I moved out, you know, out this way. But um, on the opposite side, my other hangout, besides Redheads, was Kelly's Pub. Now, Kelly's Pub, they also bought shirts from Bo, mm -hmm. and they were really nice people. And talk about a dysfunctional family, <laughs> but yet nevertheless nice people. Wow. Uh, Frank Kelly, one of the greatest men of all time. Wow. Uh, he was a, just such a classic guy. He bought this property. It was between 13th and 14th Street. 14th Street was the last street before you had a turn to get, in other words, Washington Street was the main drag in Hoboken. Mm -hmm. So if you were on the bus going to New York City, it would go from the uh, path area mm -hmm. down Washington Street and 14th Street was the last Hoboken pickup and it went left and then it made that right towards the tunnel. Gotcha. And it went down, you know, when you're going in the tunnel and you're seeing those cars pouring in yeah, below you, yeah, like, you don't where know are where they they're coming, coming from? <laughs> right. This is one of the places. Gotcha. So, so the Kellys bought that place in 1959. And it was the liquor license, the bar, and I think it was four to six apartments above mm -hmm. for $50,000 in 1959. Wow. I th when they sold it many years later, uh, they got a few million for it. I'm sure now it'd probably be worth like 10 million. Yeah. But the Kelly family, the bar was open from six in the morning until three in the morning. Holy crap. Well, they opened up because uh, there was a lot of industry there. Mm -hmm. So these guys were working these 24 hour shifts mm -hmm. and Kelly would open up, Kelly himself, I mean, I don't know what he was doing in the 60s or 70s, but by the time I got there in the 80s, Kel, Frank would open the bar at six in the morning and at 10 in the morning, he was done. So these guys getting off the late shift or the party, there, there were the party animals that <laughs> sure. were still up, right? That weren't going to the uh, 366 <laughs> club or the, the 50th in the after hours. So Kelly would 10 bar. And uh, then when he was done, he would move over to the first seat uh, by where the kitchen was. Mm -hmm. And you ever hear the expression, uh, there's no free lunch? Yes. There's no free lunch, but sometimes at Kelly's there was. Wow. Now his wife, Dotsie, another wonderful person, they would have a lunch special. And so we're talking 85, 86, 87, 88, 89, it was a dollar uh, for a burger, a good burger. Wow. You know, like you would. Like you know, a restaurant. Right. Like yeah. a, a good burger. Or they would have a platter. Like Monday was roast beef and peas and some mashed potatoes. And it was two bucks. And Tuesday wow. was ham. And th Wednesdays was turkey. Mm -hmm. And Miss, Mrs. Kelly, she would never let you go hungry. Oh. Never. Never. And sometimes... I'd be at the, she, she had a very good mental telepathy. She was like Kreskin. <laughs> a lot of times I'd be like almost dead broke, uh, which was most of the time. And she'd go, she'd stick her head out of the kitchen. She was there from like 10, 10.30 in the morning to like three. That's the mm -hmm. only time. She'd go, hey, hey, kid, come here. And she would go like this and she'd put a $20 bill in my hand. And I'm like, Mrs. Kelly, she, 
I said, she goes, nah, I just want you to have it. So she was so nice. Frank got hit on just like Silent Sydney, okay, you know, yeah, yeah. at the garden with uh, with a, a hundred degenerate scalpers trying <laughs> to borrow five, ten, twenty, fifty. Uh, yeah. Frank would get hit on by these people because mm-hmm. he just couldn't say no. Oh. Kelly, can I borrow twenty? Kelly, can I borrow fifty? Yeah. If he would have, and some guys paid him back. Mm-hmm. But if he would have all those 10s, 20s, 50s that he gave out from the time he opened to the time he passed away, I, I without any <laughs> embellishment or, or, or exaggeration, he's probably owed $100,000. Amazing. But um, what, what a character he was. Um, one, one, it was, he was a huge sports fan. Mm-hmm. He, liked to, he liked to gamble on a football game. But and and he loved drinking, you know. Uh, once he was off, you know, probably by eight thirty in the morning was all right. I've been working two and a half hours. <laughs> He'd have a beer, and then he would start drinking scotch. Wow. And by one or two in the afternoon, three in the afternoon, he was pretty much done. <laughs> but he used to like to go to New York to see a day baseball game. Okay, and I was hipped by some of the guys that knew him for many years. One of the guys was Brian McGordy, great guy. He was a fireman. He's come to, educated, came, he's come to Ring of Honor, Mm -hmm. rock and roller. He used to go to the Fillmore. I used to talk to him. So the first time I went to a game with Kelly at Yankee Stadium, Brian said, listen, Carrie, you know what he's gonna do, right? I go, well, we're going to go to the game. <laughs> he goes, he's going to leave. And I'm like, what are you talking about? The MO is this. Kelly goes to the city. You take the bus. You take, there was no car for you. Yeah. you know, there was no reason for it. And by about the third or fourth inning, Kelly would, you know, they used to have a bar in the stadium. Mm-hmm. He'd have a few scotches. And suddenly he was gone. <laughs> Where did he go? He had local, you know, he had friends in New York from going there for years. He would stop at such and such bar. Mm-hmm. So like the first, you know, and I, I like, so he would get drunk. And I was just worried, you know, I'd one time I got him to get in a cab wow. with me. I go, come on, let's, I'll, I'll leave the game with you. But no, he wanted to do his thing, <laughs> you know, and, uh, what an interesting man. Uh, his daughters, um, Patty, th- there was a lot of kids. There was Patty. There was Lori. There was Frank Jr. who worked on, uh, he worked on the docks and managed the place. His daughter, his, I'm, I'm leaving out a couple of daughters who were teachers. And Patty, she was a bartender there. Mm. And she had a, she used to like to drink and party and she loved music. She was on the pulse of, uh, not new wave, but she knew what was good. Mm-hmm. You know, she wasn't into Led Zeppelin and Jethro Tull. She was into like, what was, whatever was, you know, uh, it's hard to pull out a name uh, out of 1986, but. Yeah, or like when Tom Petty first was coming out, no one knew him, or whomever it was. Uh, She she knew her stuff. Uh, She was generous also. The whole family was generous. I remember a couple of Thanksgivings Hmm. where I didn't want to go to my parent with my parents. I was in no shape. But you could always go to Kelly's house. Really? And there were people there, like these... (laughs) Guys that were just had nowhere else to go. Wow, you know, and they would just welcome. They would welcome them. Amazing. And uh, yeah, there, there's just talk about characters. There was a guy, <laughs> Shorty, Shorty, <laughs> and the guy was a small man, and he would stand at the bar. There, it wasn't because there were no seats. He would just stand at the bar. And he was in his 70s. And one day I go in there and 
Kelly, it's like one in the afternoon, and Kelly's feeling no pain, and, and Kelly stands up, because it was the regular crew, he goes, ah, just want to let everyone know that uh, Shorty passed away, and everyone was like, oh, and, and Kelly goes, yeah, they're probably going to bury him standing up. <laughs> so, but he, uh, he had a good sense of humor and he used to like to mess around with me and vice versa. One time I'm sitting in there and I'm looking in the one ads. There was no, uh, you know, the newspaper. Mm -hmm. There was, you know, you know, I, I was, I was doing the tickets, but I'm like, well, maybe I could find something else. So I'm looking through the one ads. I'm about three stools down from Kelly. And he knew what I was looking at. I, he goes, what? Well, what are you looking at, kid? I go, the classifieds. He goes, for what? I go, the help wanted. <laughs> he goes, what's wrong with you? I go, well, what do you mean? I looking, maybe I could find a job. He goes, don't you know that there's no good jobs in the newspaper? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he goes, if the job was so good, why would they have to advertise to get anyone? <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I mean. He's got a point. He did have a point. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, you know when my when my parents moved down the shore in eighty seven, eighty eight. I used to joke around with Kelly, you know, and I was talking about on the last podcast how, the, and I wasn't clean yet, mm -hmm. and I would tell Kelly, I go, yeah, my parents moved, and he'd say, well, where'd they go? I go down the shore. He, he says, well, what time? I, I would say. They're not telling me yet. <laughs> oh. and, and, and another week, few weeks later, I'd bring it up. He says, did, they, did your parents tell you where they're at yet? I go, they just told me it's Ocean County. <laughs> I knew where they were. So we, and also during that time, I had a little tift, a, a little minor tift with the law, oh. a little, uh, it was a marijuana charge and I got probation. And uh, it was when they would give you Probation and community service. Okay. You know about that, right? Yeah. Well, in this case, the community service was uh, cleaning the sides of the road. Oh, there you go. Right? And there's this nice, right, I'm sure it's all built up now, but mm -hmm. it's where you, there was the road where Manhattan's right, you know, it was like a park. Yeah. And I used to goof around with Kelly and I would tell him, yeah. They make you wear a jail outfit. Like when you do the community service, they put stripes on you. It was the humiliation effect. So he would laugh. You know, he was just he was just such a good guy. And there were just so many characters there. Um, we talk about characters. Um, oh, God. This guy, Joe Juggs, was a part-time bartender. He lived across the street. He, he just... Uh, he didn't do anything except <laughs> <laughs> he got a check from someone, worked a few hours. Uh, Kelly needs him to do this. Kelly needs him to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of the guys, including Patty's boyfriend, Jerry, who I knew well, um, heroin was big in Hoboken oh. in the 70s. And it was big other places too, but that was the drug of choice mm. with these these kids. And so these guys, so at the time, let's say in 86, 87, I was 30, 31. Mm -hmm. Some of these guys were, you know, in their mid to later 30s mm -hmm. and they started dying. Oh, geez. And it was AIDS from intravenous drug use, wow. but nobody said that. Uh, and I mentioned Kelly had his son, Frank, mm -hmm. who worked at the railroads and he was a dyed in the wool alcoholic, mm -hmm. but he didn't mess around with drugs. Mm -hmm. But then there was his other son, Jimmy. No. And Jimmy was the nicest guy. Uh, Frank Jr. got him a job. You know, they're in the union. This mm -hmm. is when the unions were the unions. Mm -hmm. And Jimmy just couldn't hold his stuff together. Oh. And he got sick. And he was in the hospital. And 
it wasn't good. And I guess it was Patty, his daughter, told me, yeah, I don't think Jimmy's going to make it. Mm. And Jimmy passed away. So this is like 89. And no one would use that dirty four-letter word, AIDS. Right. I mean, that had to have been... it. That had to have been a concern, right? I mean, we haven't really talked about it, but you were using and you were in environments where yes. sex was free and right. rapid. And yeah, I, I mean, was what was the fear level like? And did drugs take any of that away? It took a lot away. Okay. You know, I should have been, uh, you know, we talked about Big Rick saving my life, mm-hmm. but uh, my uh, sexual escapades thrown in. I wasn't fortunate, not that I never did it, but fortunately mm-hmm. I was not a uh, habitual uh, intravenous drug user, but mm-hmm. I took enough risk, risks as it was. But when Jimmy passed away, I went to the um, viewing and I had a sport coat or maybe I borrowed one from Harry mm-hmm. and I go to the church in Hoboken and, you know, the Kellys had so many friends. There's a lot of people. And there's Jimmy in the fucking casket. And I'm waiting online to pay my respects. And Frank, Frank looked like a thin, a thin version, a thinner version of Jackie Gleason. Oh, wow. Sort of. He was a, han- he was a handsome man. Mm-hmm. And now he was probably in his late 60s. And his wife, Dotsie, she's looking good. And there's Jimmy. And I'm waiting. And I'm waiting. And, like, I'm not, I'm not used to this. I knew the, you know, the right thing to say. I'm sorry for your loss, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I go up. And I'm like, Mrs. Kelly. Uh, I always call her Mrs. Kelly. I, Mrs. Kelly, Mrs. Kelly uh, Frank, I'm, uh, as I'm saying, I'm sorry for your loss. Frank... Kelly as he says to me, hey, you got a couple tickets? And I <laughs> right. Wow. And I was just like, I looked at him mm-hmm. and I'm and I'm looking at uh, Mrs. Kelly and I'm like, I, I I'm very sorry for your loss. You know, Jimmy was great, you know, I mm-hmm. loved him. He was such a good he's like, no, no, he you got a couple tickets. And I tried to ignore it again. Mm-hmm. And I said some other niceties for the third time. Yeah. And he says to me, he interrupts me again. He goes, I need a couple tickets. So I finally broke down. I said, for what? He goes, I need a couple tickets to get this kid into heaven. Oh. Yeah. And uh, that was Frank Kelly. Yeah. I mean, he was just, talk about a classic. Yeah. Talk about characters. And it was... uh, you know, it was just uh, there's more, but uh, we could take a we could take another trip to Hoboken next yeah, week because um, I, I see your notes and it looks like there's a lot of stuff that I don't want to speed through. Right, so. but yeah, um, I still I haven't seen. I got it. You know, Frank passed away. Uh, we used, once I cleaned up my act, mm-hmm. we would go to opening day at Yankee Stadium. The aforementioned Brian McGordy, who was the fireman slash rock and roll guy, who was a good guy. And there was a bunch of other guys who everyone drank, but they weren't necessarily all druggies. They might have had their run. But it was go to opening day at Yankee Stadium. Okay. And that had, that was like, you had to do that. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't, and it, it, it was, it had to be Yankee Stadium. Okay. There were some Met fans too. Sure. But it was just to go to Yankee Stadium. And, uh, so oh, I went there quite a bit and I'm not a Yankee fan. Right. Uh, yeah. And you know, there's the old stadium. So there'd be like 20 of us would go to the game. And, uh, this is, you know, into the nineties and I, I kept in touch with them. Uh, I got to reconnect with Patty. Uh, you know, Frank passed away. Dotsie, uh, his wife, passed away. It's been many years now. But uh, the kids, uh, the other kids are still around. And uh, they were a big part of my life. And yeah. uh, there's a lot more stories with them. 
So I, I hope I didn't bore the hell out of you with this Hoboken no. uh, extravaganza. No. <laughs> no, we'll take the we'll take the path train back to Hoboken next week because I see we have a lot more to talk about. It's uh, Hoboken's always been one of those towns for me. I lived in New York for four years, and uh, you'd explore a, a lot in the city, and there's so much to do and see in the city. And you don't often get to go to the places that are less than a mile as the crow flies <laughs> away. Yeah, I mean when I, when I had the apartment. It was amazing because you would get off the path train after, you know, the madness of the city Mm -hmm. and you would get off the path train and it was just like, yeah, Hoboken comparatively was just so calm and um, very interesting place. We have a lot more that uh, I'll I'll conjure up for next week. Uh, It sounds great. I look forward to returning to Hoboken next week. And next week, we'll talk about Ring of Honor, the pure six-man match that we'll see. It's going to be a lot of fun. And there's some other matches on the card, too. And uh, it looks like we're going to be starting to announce some of the 19th anniversary matches. And some of the uh, there's the big championship edition of Ring of Honor coming up, Shane Taylor versus Roosh, and a big tag team title match. I'm anxious to see who gets announced for that title match. Well, I'm getting my, knock on wood, I'm getting my first vaccine tomorrow. Excellent. So... As we record or, or on Saturday? No, as we record. Awesome. So by, by now, you'll have the first dose. Right. So hopefully 28, 29 days from now, I'll have both doses. Wow. And uh, maybe that'll give me some, you know, maybe the paperwork will give me some kind of, uh, I don't know, uh, I don't want to say free pass, but maybe some kind of edge to go to Ring of Honor. Yeah, maybe. I mean, that'd be that'd be great without the whole quarantining. Well, we'll get Joe. We'll get uh, Joe Coff on the on the phone. Thank yeah, you. Gary Juster got his first one too. Hey, all right. It'd be nice to see them. I've missed them. I missed. I mean, Joe is in the age range. He's very public about it. Presents a risk to come. Gary, same way. Been public about it. Doesn't you know the risk is too great, even if you know even under perfect scenarios. So. I'd love to start seeing everybody again. I mean, I'm fortunate I get to see all the wrestlers, I get to see the referees, the the crew, but it's it's been it's been a minute since I've seen Gary. It's been he because he didn't come to Vegas, right? So it's been over a year at this point. <laughs> love to see him again. I'd love to see Joe Coff again. It'd be it'd be nice. It's gonna happen. It will. It will. It'll be here soon enough. And uh, hopefully, this vaccine will allow us to do more in terms of uh, Ring of Honor. Like you said, the live events were penciled in. Live uh, TV was penciled in. And hopefully we get to kick that kick that into higher gear. So I know uh, I wish you the best of luck for the first dose. I'm on the list, too. I didn't realize I have, I have asthma. So, uh-huh. so I've gotten on the list. I think I'm lowest priority, which is OK. That's fine by me. Well, the main thing is that you're on the list. That I'm on the list. So no date yet. No date. I don't want to skip anybody that I don't need to. Guess who else got a vaccine? Who's that? AJ? <laughs> All right. So I will be safe coming to coming here for sure without having to worry about quarantining myself. So that's nice. Now, my wife, who's very supportive, does, you know, she always has that. Guess where my vaccine is being issued at? In the shoulder. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Correct. Where's that? The Wind Creek Casino. Which is home to the great Chinese restaurant. Well, it was originally supposed to be, I got it through the Lehigh Valley Health Network or BethlehemHealths.org, whatever the hell it was. It was supposed to be at a church off 191, which I thought was strange. Mm -hmm. Then I got an email a few weeks ago. Your appointment has been switched to the Wheat Creek Casino. That's great, though. So I went there Monday. Yeah. Because I'm going to go there and they're going to be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and I went to the hotel side. Okay. And Did they have the drive-thru? Or, you know. I, I parked my car. I went mm-hmm. to the hotel side. And when you go in there, they take your temperature and you got to have cool. a mask on, even if you're going to the shopping. Sure. Because that's, Buddy's is still open. The right. Place. Yeah. So the security person there, I said, um, where are they doing this uh, COVID uh, vaccine? I was worried he's going to say. What do you mean? Right. He says they're using the event center. That's awesome. Where NXT runs and. Right. That's great. So that's a good use. It's it's nice to see places offering up their at the Dorney Park is opening a little bit of the park. They're opening the parking lot. You can drive. If you're assigned there, you get to drive right through and get it. 
and there's different sites like that. It's uh, the Iron Pigs and the old Lucent building off of, uh, you know, right off of 22 there. They've opened up a lot of space to do that. I think well. Pennsylvania is doing a good job. Yeah, I think so too. And uh, I'm starting to feel hopeful. <laughs> I'm starting Absolutely. to, those numbers keep going down and the, uh, the infection rates going down and the deaths are going down. So whether it's the vaccine or a combination of, hey, people just hunkering down because we're this close, Whatever it is, keep it going. <laughs> We're almost almost out of this. It's exciting. Well, it was it was a good talk. Thank you. Please subscribe to Last Stop Penn Station. Uh, I want to thank uh, Ian as usual. I want to thank AJ from Design Creative and Web Design and Eric from Discover Pro Wrestling. Uh, subscribe, rate. We're, we're stuck. We're stuck at 79 ratings. Somebody. Yeah. And now with the ad free shows, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll, we'll garner some new listeners. That'd be, that'd be really nice. If you're joining us for the first time, we thank you. We thank everybody for listening. We'll, we're going back to Hoboken next week, right here on last stop Penn station. Listening to Last Stop Penn Station podcast. Rate, review, like, subscribe, and share on your favorite platform. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or at laststoppennstation.com.